All right, welcome back to the big program. Just after 10 o'clock in Edmonton in the Sports 1440 studios, Grant Fuhr with us uh, on the line in uh, Palm Desert. And we are getting ready for Are You In or Are You Out? That was Billy Joel. Billy was, he played at the Grammys. And first time he played in like years on Sunday night. First time that he, I guess, wrote a song in years. It was a good song. Yeah. I don't know if anyone did. did. I, I didn't even say, because I, I, like I said, I thought I saw most of the highlights of the Grammys, but yeah, I missed them. I, missed, I missed end, that. I don't know. Did you, you, you didn't have time to watch the Grammys, did you, Grant? No. no. I saw a little bit of Tracy Chapman. Yeah. That's been all, that's been all over social media. So that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of Tracy Chapman. And then, you know, being the Canadian, uh, um, Joni Mitchell was a big one too, Grant, that she yeah. came on and sang. So it was kind of cool. We were talking about it yesterday. It was, it, I, it, it was a kind of a proud moment to uh, to be a Canadian with Joni Mitchell uh, singing there. First time ever, which was kind of cool for sure. Uh, time now for Are You In or Are You Out? We had some great times. We're about to have some more. I know that look. I'm putting together a team. Then I'm in. Just when I thought I was out. Are you in or are you out? On Sports 1440. I'm out. All right, Duke. Let her rip, big fella. Edmonton Oilers back in action coming out of the All-Star break. They'll take on the Vegas Golden Knights this evening from T-Mobile Arena on the Strip. Uh, both teams haven't seen game action in about 10 days of time. Uh, and I'm saying as a result of this little break, maybe a little sloppy, a little rust on both <laughs> sides, uh, I'm saying the Oilers will allow more than two goals for the first time since December 22nd against the New York Rangers. Ooh, another tough one right off the hop, Duke. You just throw them right at us just to get us going. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go. I'm out on this. I'm thinking that it's going to be more of a lower scoring game as a result of the, if you want to call it rustiness for a few minutes and maybe timings off a little bit. I think that uh, also with Jack Eichel out of the lineup, big part of that. And you heard Kelly McCrimmon talk about, you know, the other injuries that the Vegas Golden Knights have uh, coming into this one. So I'm going to say that the Oilers' streak of allowing two goals or less since December 22nd will continue on this one. I'm going to go with I'm in on that one. I think just because of the 10-day layoff, things are going to be a little sloppy for the first half of the game. And sloppy hockey usually ends up in goals against. So I can see this one being... A 4-3 game for the Oilers. Ooh. That's kind of what I'm thinking too, Grant. So glad to see that we're on the same page there. Uh, it is, of course, a Super Bowl week in Las Vegas as well with the Niners and Chiefs set to uh, take action on Sunday. Um, the big game tonight, and we talked about it even with uh, Soren Petri yesterday from Kansas City. He's going to the game tonight, as I'm sure plenty of media from outside the hockey world will be. But I think Vegas and the NHL schedule makers should have capitalized a little bit more and had three high-profile games with Vegas uh, on the schedule this week. Go ahead, Fierzy. I think they should have had at least two. Mm-hmm. I and mean, you're kind of missing the boat. You've got a lot of people rolling into Vegas, which is normal, but even more than normal. And I think they could have capitalized on that and could have put the, the NHL right in the big spotlight. Couldn't agree more. This is one of the best questions you've ever had, Duke. Uh, just, just brilliant to come up with an idea like this at this time of the year. Uh, yeah, why the NHL would not uh, take advantage of the scheduling and have at least, as you said, Grant, two, they could have three. I, I thought about it uh, when Duke was saying like Tuesday, Thursday, 
Saturday, and then the Duke says, well, how about uh, Tuesday and then a back-to-back Thursday, Friday? Now you can clear out or hang around, do whatever you want, but give, you know, the NFL all, you know, front row center Saturday, Sunday, which, let's be honest, they're going to be front row center all week long. But if you can take, I don't know, a couple more percent out of the pie in Vegas for this time of the year, for this week, do it, and uh, it's a it's a missed opportunity by the league. So yes, I, I am uh, in on the fact that they should have had a few more games this week, and, yep. and obviously understanding that you don't know come the first or second week of February who's going to be where in the standings. But like specifically, like obviously the Oilers, that's a great one. Connor McDavid, the best player in the league. But others, some like whether it be um, maybe the Blackhawks with the hope mm-hmm. that Bedard was playing or like, like the matchups mattered too because if they were playing Arizona and they're in Arizona yes. on Thursday night, if Arizona was here, that doesn't really move the needle. It helps. But like I said, I think some big, big market, high profile, marquee player type games would have made a big difference as but well. But you're also the defending Stanley Cup champions. Yeah. So no matter what, the draw is there. And for the locals, right? Yes. And as Grant said, like, you know, the the spectacle, the production that is a Golden Knights game could have been seen a lot more as as you said, Soren Petra's going to the game. Yeah. Think about all the other because uh, it's not just Chiefs and Niners media that come in for this, right? Like they media from every team sends at least a couple people to the Super Bowl yeah. site for the game, or maybe not the game, but at least Media Week, right? Because they're grabbing uh, all sorts of uh, of audio and clips from Goodell speaking yesterday. They announced the the Brazil game. Uh, Eagles are playing. Like there's tons of stuff mm-hmm. outside of just the actual game and the, those two teams. So like like Grant said, there's yeah. so many extra people and and maybe people not well, familiar with hockey. It's just a missed opportunity. Here, here's the other thing. Like, Fierzy, you how many times have people ask you about golfing on game day or whatever in the Stanley Cup playoffs years ago? And you did because because you wanted to get your mind off the game a little bit, right? Yeah. So It gives, just gives you another outlet. Well, so, if, you're, the, if yeah. you're a football team, there's yeah. another outlet. So, again, don't be surprised. Like, if you were to see a Travis Kelsey or someone – from San Fran at this game tonight, I would be shocked if some of these players aren't there tonight. Just again, to take a little off their mind, it's only Tuesday, but as you said, Duke, now they could have done it maybe Wednesday or, you know, they could have had a back-to-back today and tomorrow mm-hmm. and then one game later. Maybe, Jels- maybe Jason Kelsey will be there uh, yugging some beers back up uh, with the fans. You know what would be cool? Ring- you- what do they do there? They ring the bell? Yeah. Or crank the siren or whatever to start the game? Well, here- the siren going there. Yeah. Like what could you like you think about it, you see all these offensive line and they're not going to do it at this game <laughs> but you know they take their shirts off and start shotgunning beer. Oh yeah. Could you imagine if the Chiefs O-line did that tonight? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Five days of Super Bowl. Whatever it takes to, to get the mind right. Mm. Um, in the NHL, we're kind of into the unofficial second half. Uh, two games uh, last night, Rangers getting past the Avalanche and the Leafs losing to the Islanders. But uh, there's, of course, four divisions in the league, each one with the leader as we enter the second half. But I'm saying only two of the current leaders, the Bruins, Rangers, Avalanche, and Canucks, only two of those teams uh, will still be leading their division by season's end. Do hmm. you want to go first, Fierzy? Sure, I I can see two teams falling out of the lead. I mean, it, the divisions are so close right now, and the teams that are leading haven't had their valleys yet. And every team goes through a valley, so yeah, I could see two teams dropping out of first. Hmm. Oh, I, I I see three teams staying, so I'm going to disagree with this one. I see Boston staying, I see the Rangers staying, and I see Vancouver staying. So the only division that I see 
up for grabs right now is the Central because it's so tight. Colorado's got 68 points, Dallas 66, and Winnipeg 65. So uh, I could see... I could see all four staying the same. No, and I, I get it for sure. I, I think the central is an easy one for picking. Of course, the Avalanche now without uh, Val Nikishkin. Um, Gabe Laniscog still not set to be back probably until playoff time, uh, if that, I think. Uh, the Jets bringing in Sean Monaghan. They're kind of loading up for the second mm-hmm. half. The Stars are surging. But my other uh, division actually isn't the Rangers because I think they're playing uh, some pretty good hockey right now, including last night. But I think the Panthers uh, are oh. primed to overtake the Bruins at the top of the Atlantic Division. So I don't think anybody's catching the Canucks. Uh, I think they built themselves, even when they hit their valley or their lull, I think they've built themselves enough of a cushion there that they can uh, coast along playing some so-so hockey for a bit and still come out on top. Uh, you know, isn't it crazy that the Bruins have the same amount of losses as they do overtime and re- uh, overtime and shootout losses? Yeah, that's crazy. A lot of they loser points. Vancouver's only got a seven point lead, mm-hmm. so I mean that's that could close very quickly. You have a bad week, somebody has a good week. Vegas or Edmonton has a good week. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's a whole different animal. So here's one for you, Grant. Do you think that the Oilers, despite where they are, they're at 59 points, Vancouver's at 71. Do the Oilers have a legitimate shot at first place in the Pacific? If they keep playing the way they are, I think they've got a legitimate shot. I mean, they've got a lot of ground they have to make Mm -hmm. up. They spotted Vancouver a big lead at the start of the year. So, but eh, you know what? With games against each other and such still, it's still possible. Yeah. And, you know, losing those three games to Vancouver already – just think if you win one of those games. Yeah, Vancouver's they, at sixty nine. You're at sixty one, and and the the Oilers still with four games in hand on yes. Vancouver as yeah. well. So like I said, even if you because I think they only have one more game yeah. against Vancouver, four on the season. So yeah, if they'd split the season series, that could go a long way uh, to to closing that gap. But. Moving over to uh, the world of baseball, a Hall of Fame, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame class announced today, but also set today is the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. arbitration hearing between him and the club. Uh, in a season, off-season so far, kind of mired by missed opportunities, the Shohei thing, not much you can do there. You did the best you could, but uh, announcement that, that they're probably done in terms of major moves with not a lot to move the needle outside of maybe the Justin Turner signing. I'm saying of all these missteps, the biggest is that the Jays are taking Vlad to arbitration and not signing him to a long-term extension. Well, I'm uh, really in on this one. I'm surprised that they haven't made more of a conscious effort of this, kind of like they did with Bo Bichette. Mm. Because, and if you were to compare contracts in the major leagues to where the NHL is, Bo Bichette would be probably considered a bridge contract. If you want to, it's closer to that than a long-term contra- contract. But where Vladimir Guerrero is, I, I just because he's such a face of the team and he's such a popular guy, I'm surprised that they have not done this. So I wouldn't. I, I'm I'm going to say it's a big misstep. I don't know if it's the biggest. Maybe they thought that they were really going to get Shohei Otani and all the money was going to go there. But I still think that they have to pivot at that point and go and make the make the decision on Vladdy. Grant. No, I agree with that. And anytime you take a player to arbitration, arbitration. There's a lot of not good that comes out. I mean, as the team, you're trying to throw all the weaknesses out. As a player, you're looking at all the strengths. And a lot of times coming out of arbitration, there's a lot of hard feelings. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think it does anything for the chemistry of the team. I can't remember. Did you go through it, Fusey? Nope. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was my thoughts exactly, Grant. Apart from the fact you're risking, um, you know, another year of uh, ARB possibly and then Vladdy 
can jet off to free agency if he so chooses. But like I said, after with that on the horizon, you, you sit in a room and tell a player all of his faults and why he's no good. Why does that motivate him to stick around and, and sign long-term with the club after the fact? So we've seen it a ton in the NHL um, over the years. Lots of guys uh, don't uh, – the, the relationship is – kind of beyond mending after going through this ARP hearing, depending on how harsh it gets. But yeah, that's that, those were my thoughts exactly. And people, as much as they want to criticize Vlad and the fact he's not uh, the MVP caliber player he was a couple of years ago, he's still a very valuable piece of uh, any franchise looking to compete. He had 48 home runs in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then last year fell off to 26. So, I mean, he's got to pick it up too here. He, he has to hold up his end of the bargain if, if they were to sign him to a bigger money deal. 100%. Uh, finally, steering away from the world of sports, uh, some sad news out of uh, the world of country music this morning and late last night as Toby Keith passed away at the age of 62. A uh, staunch uh, patriot, I guess you could call him, uh, standing up for uh, for his country even to a fault sometimes. Um, the song, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, coming out after mm-hmm. the 9-11 tax in New York uh, of later that year. I'm saying that there is no song that is more "quote unquote" American than that one. Go ahead, Fierzy. I'll let you go on this one, and then I'll mop it up with the Duke. Yeah, you know what? I could go for that. It's it's a pretty big song down here, so I would definitely run with that. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna just to get the Duke's goat here. I'm gonna disagree, and I'm gonna go thirty uh, thirty three years ago. I think I'm, I might be off by a year. Whitney Houston at the Super Bowl, <laughs> singing the national anthem right after Iraq. Yeah. You know. I, so, thought, I thought you were going to say Springsteen. Like, take your pick of how no, many Springsteen songs. No, but. I'll go with that one. And I mean, I know people are going to be all over me for it, but it's, you know, I, I you kind of get the, the, the heartstrings going for Toby Keith this morning for sure. Yeah. But yeah, a lot. We, play, we played the only a few one tunes. by Aaron Lewis is pretty good too. Which one's that, Fierzy? The only one by Aaron Lewis. Okay. We're going to have to check that one too. out. We're going to have to check that one out. There's there's lots. Lots of great okay, well, American songs. Okay, what else? Songs, you must but, have somewhere in the hopper here, Duke. Um, well, like I said, Springsteen. Um, uh, like, I guess it depends on your de- definition of, of the American, but even like uh, American Pie. Mm. Um, they're, well, they're like Because they cover like whether you're looking for like the Americana or like I said, this the Toby Keith one's more of like a Patriot uh, type song. I think you can go a lot of different directions, but that, of course, like me growing up on country music, that yeah. song, he, I mean, that song made waves in Canada even still. And when he, <laughs> when I went to his concert, when I was whatever, like in grade six, he sang like a kind of dubbed vert, like changed the words a little bit to include the the Canadian flags, colors and stuff. So it, uh, I mean, I like when I was a kid, I didn't even know what that song was about, but it like fires you up. Like yeah, the, the emotion in it and et cetera. So yeah, I think it's a great tune. B texted in just now. Sorry, boys, you're both wrong. Lee Greenwood and God bless the USA. There you go. That's a good one. It's another good one. You know, I don't think you can go wrong. Uh, when you're getting into the emotional and the uh, aspect of patriotism, um, that's the most important part. We're going to, are we going to play that song Duke? Uh, 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 yeah. The, the Monday night football. Monday night variation. football. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to play the Monday night variation of Toby Keith Grant coming up uh, probably around 1045. Yeah, we can round out the show with that. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that one, but we were kind of going through all the the Toby Keith stuff this morning. So, well, that was pretty good, Duke. I really like that. That second one, just bang on. We had the, this text come in about that uh, from Mark. Uh, you have to remember, Vegas hotel rooms are going for up to ten grand a night, closer to the weekend. What hotel is going to give up thirty to fifty rooms for an NHL team to stay in at a discounted price? Well, 
I think they can figure there, there, something there's out. There's a lot of hotel rooms in Vegas. You don't got to stay in New York, yeah, New York. Uh, yeah, I think you can figure it out. Yes. The NHL teams book their hotels yes. a long time out, too. Yeah. It's yeah. not just a last-minute booking. Yeah. So uh, when we come back, we will check in with Ryan S. Clark, NHL on ESPN. It's Kevin Carries with our co-host Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time to go around the league and look at Seattle a little bit uh, with Ryan S. Clark, NHL on ESPN. Uh, Ryan, you're with Kevin Carries and our co-host, uh, Grant Fuhr, the Hockey Hall of Famer. Welcome to Sports 1440. Thanks for jumping on today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And, you know, I just kind of heard you, overheard you with the Duke, and it's the same response every time that we have a, a guest on, and they say, well, the Duke will say, uh, yeah, you're with uh, Kevin and Grant. Oh, well, Grant, yeah, all right. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> it's just an afterthought that the, the, the two of you can basically go move forward here now. But uh, always good to talk a little hockey. So I'm sure you're aware of Grant does a uh, color for Coachella Valley. Uh, Seattle's farm team, and uh, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. Just your overall thoughts on the All-Star game, and are you a big All-Star guy, Ryan, or where are you? Did you enjoy the break? Just your thoughts on this last weekend. You know, it seems like at this point with All-Star games, whether it's the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, or the Pro Bowl with the NFL, the fascination is more about, like, how do you find a way to make these games relevant? Because you think about what they were 20, 30 years ago, everyone watched them, whether you were a fan of that sport, casual fan of that sport, or someone who was just channel surfing, and you're like, oh, this is on, I'll watch a little bit of it. Now it's kind of like, what are you doing to keep people entertained? And with the NHL, it's no different. So it was more watching for that, just Mm -hmm. to be like, how did people feel about the skills competition and the $1 million giveaway, which... Again, you know, it was a it was an idea that you know people looked at, and some may have had their opinions on it. But at least people or the NHL are trying something different, and then it's the same thing with the the game as well. So really, it was more watching from that standpoint than anything. So Ryan, as we um, head into the unofficial second half of the season, tonight's Oilers game with Vegas and the Oilers' chance for seventeen wins in a row is a pretty big deal around here. From an outsider's perspective, covering the league, uh, what kind of legs, what kind of play is it getting in your world? Quite a bit, and how could it not? You think about where the Whalers were in November. There were questions about, okay, what's wrong with this team? Can they salvage it? And if they do, are we looking at a wild card team? Or, or, or like, what are we looking at? Because at one point, the record was so poor that people were asking, are they about to be in the Macklin Celebrini sweepstakes? Which is bizarre to say now, but there was a point in time where that question was being asked. Whereas if you look at the Oilers, and look, let's have a very frank discussion. The the coaching change and what Chris Knobloch and his staff have done have really made a difference. You think about all the questions this team was facing um, at the beginning of that coaching change and how those questions have seemingly gone away. At first, there was a question of, can you get more goals beyond McDavid and Dreisaitl? And then when you look at the impact that's been made, you know, look, let's face it, like, yes, those players are still making contributions. Zach Hyman looks like he's on a pace to score 50. But then what you're seeing, too, is you're getting those contributions from Warren Fogel, from Brian McLeod. You look at that defense of Eckholm, Nurse, and CeCe. They've been able to provide some offensive contributions. Sam Gagne as well. So, look, you're seeing that. You're seeing a defensive structure that's become top 10 in the league since Knobloch took over with certain defensive metrics, like shot attempts for 60, um, high danger scoring chances allowed for 60, scoring chances allowed for 60. I need to think about what it's meant for Stuart Skinner. And, you know, it's interesting because – Last year, we had a chance to write a big story about him at ESPN, and something he talked about was 
for every time he's faced a setback, he's always found a way to make a comeback. And you look at the way this season started, there are questions of what happened to this all-star goalie who's thought to be the goalie of the teacher for the Oilers. And you look at what he's done since, there's not really many questions being asked about Stuart Skinner. So in terms of just how people are looking at it from the outside, those would probably be the main talking points. Grant? Yeah, looking at the Kraken, how would you rate the first half of the year for the Kraken so far? It's been a change for them. I mean, in terms of putting a letter grade on it, it's so hard to say because they're different teams from what they were last year and this year. Last year was a team that could score it well, had one of the highest shooting percentages in the league. They could, again, down by two goals, and they would find a way to win. This year's team has been more of one that's had to not only rely on its two-way ability, but like they've had to be more conscious about, okay, how do you get to the low slot, the slot, those sort of high-danger, high-traffic areas where they can get goals. They've really had to rely on their goaltending with Joey Decord, which the way Joey Decord is played, and yes, we're talking about a franchise that's three years old, but it's been among the most consistent goaltending they've had in those three years when you look at things like save percentage. He's constantly been above 900, which, again, it might sound a little bizarre to say because like, that's the expectation for a goalie in the NHL. 910, if you're considered to be an elite goalie, maybe 915, 920, I mean, Grant Fear would know because, well, he's Grant Fear, not being funny, but again, he's in the Hall of Fame. But to be serious, like, the Kraken have not always had that. So what they're getting with Joey DeCourt, what they're getting with this team right now is they are at a spot where coming into today, they are two points out of the final wild card spot. But that's what the understanding that they've got to worry about what St. Louis is doing, what Nashville is doing, the Coyotes, the Predators. I don't think we were saying the Predators, the Coyotes, the Flames. And yet also, of course, there's the other million-dollar question of what's going to happen with the L.A. Kings now that they've had a coaching change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ryan S. Clark, our guest on Sports 1440, Kevin Carries and Grant Fuhr with you. And, you know, Ryan... If you would have heard this show when we went on the air in September and Grant came on and he started banging the Joey Decord drum, uh, you'd be going, well, boy, Grant is bang on 100%. So I'm going to ask you, Grant, again, what you've seen from Joey from the start of the year to now, and then if you just want to pony that, Ryan, after Grant's response. Well, I think what we've seen is the same thing I got to see all last year. A guy that loves to play the game, competes, and doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. And yes, he'll give up the odd strange goal, but at the same time, he's going to make two or three highlight real saves. And he's going to give you a chance to win every night. And that's what you want from a goaltender. You don't have to be great, but you have to be good every night. And Joey gives you that good every night. Ryan? Yes, I mean, that's clearly more than fair. Again, not being funny, but it's Grant Fear. What are any of us going to say to Grant Fear where it's like, you're you're wrong. But in all seriousness, I mean, what Joey DeCore has done has given him opportunities to win. He has a save percentage of 921. You saw it at the Winter Classic, which let's say that was the game where if you hadn't watched the Kraken all year, that was sort of your first real introduction to them, or at least what they look like right now. And, like, his performance is exactly everything that's put them in this position to win in that not only does he make saves, but he makes the high-danger saves. He's able to make the simple saves, like, there's a sense of security that you have with Joey Decord that the Kraken haven't always had in net. And so with what Grant is saying, look, there had been a thought around the Kraken from the minute Joey Decord got there that they could have something. And then you look at what he did in the AHL last season, and there was a thought that, okay, the Kraken could really have something which is even more of a conversation given no one knew what was going to happen with Chris Trieger as he continues to recover from injuries. And what you see now is – 
you know, you think about what the goalie tandem was when the Kraken first started this. It was Philip Grubauer and Chris Drieger together this year. They started, excuse me, played in 19 games. Joe Decord has played in 34 of the team's 50 games. And so what you're seeing is someone who's not only emerged, but has become the latest example of how what the Kraken are doing with their AHL team is finding a way to benefit them at the NHL. Ryan S. Clark, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Grant Fuhrer on Sports 1440. Uh, you did touch on the uh, Winter Classic there for a moment, Ryan. Five weeks ago, uh, how would you say, you know, looking back and having a chance to kind of digest everything, how the game went, how the few days went, uh, the reaction, uh, how would you kind of look at this now from, uh, you know, ha- having a chance to look at it from about a month uh, a month ago in the rear, rear view mirror? Well, it was something that if you are a hockey fan in Seattle, you're still talking about how you experienced it. It was something that for people here, it was it was an interesting event just because you see outdoor games from afar. You wonder how they work. You got a chance to see it here in Seattle. And again, it was interesting because it was a mix of just sort of where the Seattle sports landscape is. So for one, the fact that there was a shipwreck and center field made for a lot of jokes about how it's appropriate that where the Mariners play, there is a shipwreck in the middle of center field because that's a commentary on the Mariners and not about the Kraken. <laughs> but at the same time, it just goes to show you that while the Winter Classic was a big deal, like there was a lot going on that weekend. So you had a Seahawks game, which they were trying to save the season. Then, of course, you had the University of Washington playing in the Sugar Bowl, which there were questions of what would have happened if UW had been playing in the Rose Bowl, and the Rose Bowl and the Winter Classic would have competed at the same time. But nonetheless, like what you saw is a really strong crowd come out, watch the team, support them, again, showing that, hey, Seattle is growing when it comes to sort of how things work with hockey. But if you're the Kraken, it's trying to get more of those moments. Like you saw it in the build-up to the playoffs last year. You saw it in the playoffs last year. You saw it with the Winter Classic this year. And, again, it's about sort of having those moments because, again, Seattle and Vegas are always going to be like because of the expansion teams and all this and that. But, one of the points that got brought up when the Kraken were first coming along was with the Golden Knights, their fans were able to have these sort of moments when it came to like these base-level moments of the club's history, like the naming, the unveiling of the logo, because it was all at Toshiba Plaza. But the Kraken, because of the pandemic, there wasn't really that. Everything was remote. It was from a computer screen or a tablet or a phone. And so to have these moments where it's a lot more personal it's said to be one of those things that could really help elevate the Kraken in terms of their relationship with the city and their fan base. Has it been tough, Ryan, to get more of a toehold? Again, when you mentioned Vegas, they come in and they have no one else, you know, professionally. They have college, but when they started the league, obviously the Raiders weren't there. Now the other leagues are, you know, going to be joining up here in the next few years. But Seattle had to compete right off the bat with the, the Seahawks and the Mariners and, and Washington and everything like that. So do you see more of a, a foot? hold more of a toehold getting taken in Seattle and Washington? I mean, it's taken time, but you can say that there is. It's just the fascinating part was that first year when the team wasn't performing and they were moving on from players at the deadline, there was a sense of frustration from fans, but it raised that interesting question of like, how is it after three months or even shorter in some cases, you're frustrated with this, but yet the Mariners until recently, they had a playoff streak of 21 years of missing the playoffs, like a streak that's old enough to drive, buy alcohol, vote, enlist in military service. But after three months, you're angry with the Kraken. And so it's one of those things where Seattle is going through this period right now of like, because people have seen success, they want to see more of it. And you think about, again, the last five to seven years, they've seen the Mariners make the playoffs. They've seen the Seahawks make the playoffs. And it wasn't that long ago 
they were in the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. Um, you've seen the storm in terms of the WNBA be one of the best teams. They've gone from being one of the best teams to one of the worst teams to now you look at their offseason. And it's like they've had a more fascinating offseason than the Mariners are having an offseason. With everything that's gone on with UW football, like UW football was just in the national championship game. They lose their coach. They bring in a new coach. They're going to the Big Ten. And then you have the Kraken, and so and not only that, but if, if the NBA comes back to Seattle, which you know, it looks like it's going to at some point, that's another thing. And so, yes, the Kraken are finding their place in the landscape, but at the same time, this is no different than what comes with a lot of cities that have a lot of teams and a lot of leagues. It's where do you sort of fit into the grand scheme? It's just with the Kraken, they're trying to figure it out as a year three franchise. Mm-hmm. Grant, have you got one more for Sean or uh, Ryan? Yeah, if you look at the Eastern Division, at the beginning of the year, would you have thought that Detroit and Toronto would be tied at this time of year? Potentially. Just because, like, the, the thing with the Red Wings was this. The way they used the offseason, looked at that roster and you thought, could this be the year, <clears throat> excuse me, let the Red Wings find a way to possibly get into the playoffs? But, of course, that's what the caveat of, the East is going to be competitive because don't know what the Islanders could be. You look at what the Penguins did in the offseason in terms of who they were able to get. The Devils are a team that, again, last year we are talking about could they win the Cup, and now they're on the outside looking in. And then the Sabres, the Senators, they made it such an interesting conversation. With the Leafs, maybe you expected them to be a little bit higher in the standings. But in terms of these two teams being in a similar situation in terms of competing for the playoffs, that maybe isn't a surprise, but in the sense of, are these the two wildcard teams with the Red Wings less so with the Toronto Maple Leafs potentially? Because, again, the Leafs are a team that is built to win, but when you've had the issues they've had, especially the lack of consistency in that, it's one of those reasons why they're both in this wildcard fight. Well, there's going to be some heck of uh, – there's a lot of fights going down the stretch here. I really appreciate your time, Ryan S. Clark. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, and we'll be uh, watching for your stuff here as the uh, end of the season progresses heading into the playoffs. Thanks for coming on. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. That's Ryan S. Clark, NHL on ESPN. So, Grant, you played in Toronto. What would happen if the Leafs didn't make the playoffs here? <laughs> Chaos. <laughs> No, there's big expectations in Toronto every year, and I, especially this year. I mean, you look at the exit last year, you look at the earlier exit the year before, and it's a team that's built to win now. So if they were to suddenly fall out and miss, mm-hmm. I think that puts a lot of heat on things there. You know, it's funny that you would mention Detroit. So right now, Detroit and Toronto, as you uh, said, uh, both with 58 points. Detroit has played two more games than the Leafs. But the goal differential is exactly the same, plus 15 right now. Not exactly, you know, earth-shattering or anything like that. But the other um, aspect about what's going on with the wildcard positioning in, in the Eastern Conference is that, again, the Islanders with a big win over Toronto last night, that pulled them to within four points of the Leafs and Pittsburgh Penguins are seven points back, but they've got, a, uh, you know, they've got some games in hand on Detroit. They've got four games in hand. So there are teams that, uh, you know, that are in they're they're poised to make a move. Is there another, another team out there besides the Leafs and wings that you mentioned out East that is kind of catching your eye and you're expecting some uh, maybe bigger things uh, from here in the second half? Oh, uh, let's see in the East. Would you New think, Jersey, I think, is going to yeah. play better. I mean, that's that's a team that looked like they were set to win last year, 
And then this year they've kind of had a little setback, but there's enough time left. I could see Jersey making a push here the last part of the season. Mm-hmm. Again, it's going to come down to who does what at the deadline as well. Yeah. What about Washington? Are you Is that a big disappointment for you this year? And You know, there was so much talk with Alex Ovechkin chasing Wayne down and everything like that. But, boy, Washington just hasn't been able to, you know, get anything going here uh, so far this year. No, they're just not scoring. Mm-hmm. I think that's when Washington's biggest issue. And if Washington's not scoring – they're going to be in tough. And a lot of teams in the East are playing well. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. It's like the West, where in the West, you're everybody's still got a chance, except for maybe a couple of clubs. So when you're having a tough time scoring goals, it makes it tough to climb up the ladder. Mm-hmm. So you're so familiar with Seattle. Do the Kraken have enough horses here to make a bit of a push? They're only, they're only two points out of it uh, behind St. Louis and Nashville for the last wildcard spot. But... Uh, St. Louis has a game in hand on Seattle. Where, where, do, where do you see the Kraken moving forward here? I can see them sliding into a wild card spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to have to play well and they're going to have to play consistent. And I think that's been part of the problem is they'll win three or four, but then they'll lose three or four. Yeah. And they need the consistency of playing good, solid hockey and winning. Were you surprised the LA Kings made the coaching change last week? No. I mean, it's when a team gets into a free fall and that valley gets deep, Something's got to give, and you can't get rid of a bunch of players. So the coach usually is the guy that ends up being the fall guy. Mm-hmm. Well, when we come back, we'll wrap things up with Grand Fear. We're going to have a little Toby Keith. Uh, should have been a cowboy. Dallas Cowboys for Monday Night Football. Uh, that's coming up. Kevin Carey Show with Grand Fear on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Uh, text coming in, one 401 Grant, this one comes from Wade in Drayton Valley. Hey, guys, one of the best sandwiches I've ever had was Toby Keith's famous fried bologna sandwich from Toby Keith's Bar and Grill in OKC. I'm pretty sure the Vegas location is closed down. Well, that would be quite the sandwich, fried bologna, obviously, but um, I'm, have you ever been to a Toby Keith's uh, establishment, Grant? I have not. Me neither. Um, we were talking about it earlier, though, about uh, Toby Keith passing away late last night, early this morning, and the fact that he rewrote the intro song for Monday Night Football when uh, the Dallas Cowboys were hosting a game and obviously rewrote it, putting in uh, players' names and things like that. So here's uh, Toby Keith's Monday Night Football from quite a number of years ago. Here it is. And the only thing else I got to say is Texas on it. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's uh, Frank Gifford there. I mean, you probably remember Frank Grant from all his broadcasts over the years. I definitely do. Yeah. So that's a long time ago, I think, what we're talking about for when that ran. I don't know the exact year on it, but 
Yeah, Toby Keith passing away. Uh, Frank Gifford. Now, there was another, like, he played for the Giants. Uh, obviously, he was married to Kathy Lee Gifford, and he was a good football player back in the day. I think he got rocked. Some guy rocked him once he was playing in a game and come over the middle, and someone really, really cranked him. Uh, so you're looking forward to a big week. You got your your schedule's pretty well full all from tomorrow right through till Friday, well, till Saturday, because you got to get back for the game on Saturday. Yeah, we're going to drive over to Vegas, so that'll be entertaining in the rain. So that's always fun. But now it's we'll have some fun over there, get to see a bunch of old friends and play a little bit of golf and drive back for some hockey. How far is the drive? About, well, normally about three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Depending on whether the back roads are flooded or not, it could be four and a half, five. So you're getting lots of uh, inclement weather. You know what? It's been weird. LA's got buried. I think they're mm-hmm. up in the six, seven, up some places, 10 inches of rain. Right. Whereas we were supposed to be on that and we didn't get a whole lot. And then this, about midnight last night, it started to rain a little. So it's hard to tell what areas got pounded. Mm-hmm. And that's just the time of the year for you? Is that normal or? Yeah, it's just the time of the year. Yeah. I mean, it's February's a wet month in California. Yeah. It just, we, here in the Valley, we don't get a whole lot of it. Text coming in, one 401 from Doug. Doug, Kevin, you're so right on Vladimir Guerrero. As much as I like him, Blue Jays brass is looking at declining numbers over the last three years, uh, hedging their bets on whether or not to open the vault and sign him to an eight-year contract or whatever. Well, Vladimir Guerrero, again, he had 48 home runs in 2021. It dropped off to 32 in 2022, and then last year he had 26. His RBIs have obviously dropped off his average has dropped off i mean he hit 311 in 2021 he only hit 264 last year now here's the other thing grant and and when i'm going to say say this and a lot of people kind of forget he's only 24 years old so do you still think that even though you know he's been in the league since 2019 he's played you know the one season he only played 60 games but he's played Five full seasons. Is he still is he still trying to find his way, I guess, maybe as a 24-year-old, or are we past that? Um, five seasons in, you should pretty much be comfortable. But at the same time, you look at the numbers, you look, you have to look at who's hitting in front of him and who's hitting behind him. Mm-hmm. And that, a lot of guys, will they'll pitch around guys. And if you've got a lineup that's a little weaker in front of them and a little weaker behind them, they're going to pitch around them, which is going to hurt his numbers as well. So you have to take a look at the whole big picture. Um, and that's that's the thing. And I, when the Jays were looking at, you know, trying to, I guess, solidify their roster and maybe they were, I don't know, I can't see them being overconfident in the sense that they were going to sign Shohei Otani, but to protect Vladimir Guerrero in the lineup is something that, has maybe been lacking a little bit. And even though they've moved Vladdy up a lot higher sometimes into the lineup, there just hasn't been that protection, I guess, behind him. I would assume uh, Justin Turner, uh, who they just signed from, played last year in Boston, would be who bats behind Vladimir Guerrero. But um, did you, what about Vladimir, or what about Justin Turner, Grant, in the sense of him being, what do you think he adds? How's that sound? What do you think he adds? What's he got left? to add to the Jays next year? Oh, I think he's somebody that if you put him in behind Guerrero, all of a sudden Guerrero's going to see better pitches. Mm-hmm. I think that's 
gives you that little bit of an insurance blanket behind him because Turner can still hit. So teams have to be careful about that. And if you're throwing bad pitches to Vladdy, then you're going to end up having to throw good pitches to Turner and Turner can still make a difference. You know, for the most part, there's always going to be holes in a major league lineup. It's just the way it is. Now, I think the Blue Jays have to be quite happy with what they have at the top of the order with with Springer, then Bichette, and then Guerrero and Turner. But after that, there's a drop-off. And there's concern in the sense of what their left-handed bats have to offer in Kevin Biggio, who would be a platoon player, and Kevin Kermeyer, who's, you know, he's turning into a platoon player as well. But Dalton Varsho is a guy that had an offseason last year. If he can get back into uh, a situation where he can contribute a little bit more, show a little more power, and for some reason, I don't know why, but the ball didn't fly out of um, Skydome in Toronto the way I think a lot of people expected it to be, even though they brought in the fences at some parts of the ballpark, and they, they brought them down, raised them up as far as the wall goes. But... I think it was airflow or something in the sense that maybe held the balls into the ballpark. So uh, it's you're looking forward. I mean, here we are, uh, you know, pitching and pitchers and catchers report in like well, a little over a month. So uh, text comes in, Grant, and uh, maybe you remember this. Uh, this is from B. Chuck Bednarik of the Philadelphia Eagles knocked Frank Gifford into next week. I do remember that. I'm not sure. Do you, Grant, remember that? I do not. Okay. So Chuck Bednarik, they called him Concrete Charlie. That was his nickname. He played both sides of the ball. He played uh, offense and played defense and was um, uh, a real tough, tough player uh, in in the NFL for the Philadelphia Eagles. They did an article on him, Grant, a number of years ago. He was well into his later years and was in Sports Illustrated. And he had an accordion and his fingers. You remember Danny Kepley, obviously? Grant? Oh, yeah. So you remember Kep's fingers, how kind of... Different directions. <laughs> one one finger pointing at you, one finger pointing to the next guy kind of thing. That's how uh, Chuck Bednarik's fingers were. And, but he could play the the accordion better, maybe because some of his fingers were all over the map. So uh, what do you make of tonight? Just uh, let's circle back to tonight's Oilers game uh, with Vegas. Obviously, it's on everyone's radar here. I would imagine you're going to be glued to the TV. So just your thoughts on Oilers going for uh, 17 in a row here tonight. I think it's going to be an entertaining hockey game. I mean, obviously, the Oilers have a little bit of a burr in their saddle when they play Vegas. So I expect high energy. I think it's going to be a physical game. And I think the Oilers are going to come out on top. The Oilers' schedule, as we've talked about a lot in the beginning of the year, Grant, to where it is now, now it's where things get condensed and it's going to be a a lot tougher. Uh, 37 games they have in 73 days, so they have a lot of back-to-backs as well. So would you imagine that the way the goaltending is set up right now with Cal Pickard, that every back-to-back gets split up? And if Cal continues the way he's playing, I mean, what would the Oilers do moving forward? Um with goaltending possibilities? Well, I think if Cal keeps playing well, they'll leave well enough alone. I mean, yes, I can see them splitting up the back-to-backs, but then again, it's going to come down to where they are in the playoff race. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. I think if it gets down to crunch time and it's still a battle in the playoffs, to get to the playoffs, you're going to see Stu play the odd back-to-back. Yeah. When, when you were playing and there was a back-to-back, and you played a lot of the back-to-backs, but just... 
I shouldn't say this when you were playing. How about looking forward to this weekend here? So the Oilers are in Anaheim on Friday, then L.A. on Saturday. Is it a given that a coaching staff would go, well, Anaheim we know is the lesser opponent, so that's the game that Cal Pickard's going to get? I think most coaches would look at it that way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you never know. I mean, that's the other wrench you can put into the other team is they may be expecting one goalie, and you throw a little wrinkle at them and throw in the other one. Mm -hmm. So... It, it all comes down to mind games and having a little bit of fun with things. Yeah. Well, Grant, thanks for uh, hopping on. Good conversation again today. Uh, safe travels tomorrow. Good luck with the uh, cigar show, with the uh, Jim McMahon tournament. What am, I, what am I missing? Something else, no? Yeah, Henderson here Saturday night. Yeah, so. and Henderson there. Yeah. A, nice, a nice normal week. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're busier than a one-armed paper hanger. <laughs> so uh, thanks, Grant. We'll uh, talk to you next Tuesday. I look forward to it. All right. That's our co-host, Grant Fuhrer, uh, color commentator for Coachella Valley Firebirds in the American Hockey League and, of course, Hall of Famer and former Edmonton Oiler five-time Stanley Cup champion. Thanks to all our guests today. Tyler Uramchuk from Oilers Nation, Matthew Shinetti, the CFL on TSN, Frank Saravalli, the daily face-off and our headliner of the day, Mark Spector, Rogers Sportsnet on the mark for Booster Juice, uh, Kelly McCrimmon, uh, our game of the day for St. Albert Dodge, Vegas Golden Knights, General Manager, and Ryan S. Clark, the NHL on ESPN, and of course our co-host on Tuesday's Grant Fuhr. We are back tomorrow with Ladislav Schmid, flip-flopping with David Schlemko. Schlemmer will be in on Thursday. Schmieder will be in tomorrow. And of course, remember, we'll have Mark Spector on tomorrow at 9 o'clock from Vegas, I think. Uh, coming up, top of the hour, it is Fantasy Frenzy with the former Rochef <laughs> T-Bird. Connor Halley and the Duke of Delbert at uh, 12 o'clock. It will be the lowdown with Alan Mitchell. 2 o'clock till 6, Jason Greger drives us home here on Sports 1440. Thanks so much to you, our listeners, for uh, checking in today. All the great texts that we received, really appreciate it. Uh, we will see you back here tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, have a great day. Oilers win with a chance to tie an NHL record tonight. We'll have a full post-game repa- report tomorrow morning uh top of the hour it is uh, fantasy frenzy before that here is the lovely and talented donovan the intern with a sports 1440 update have a great day everybody